What's up, guys? Before we get going today, just want to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of their industry, along with years of wisdom and experience. You need to go check these guys out. They are the king of promos. Go check out their Twitter at Skybox Picks, all one word, S-K-Y-B-O-X. Can't spell picks. Probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast. Go check them out. They give out free plays every day. Please do not miss out on their NASCAR promo they got going this weekend. If you're a religious listener to the podcast, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, I'll rehash it for you one more time. If you're a subscriber to a monthly package, the monthly NASCAR package, and they pick the race right this weekend, the winner of the race. So the picks that they give out, which I'm sure already are already up on their site. I should probably double-check that before I read a promo. But they know what they're dealing with here. I'm not that smart. If they pick the winner correctly and you're a monthly subscriber, you will get enter into a chance to win 1000 bucks cash. No questions asked. All you have to do is be a monthly subscriber. They get the winner right, which they will because they're like 23 five-ish units up on NASCAR in the season. If I'm not mistaken, my mass right had a huge weekend last weekend. So I think they're going to get it right, and then they're going to reel off a drawing for $1,000, no questions asked. You also need to go engage with their tweet. So if you like and retweet it, that's kind of the uh, the uh, the frat knock to get you in the door. So go check them out, skyboxsportspick.com. You don't want to miss that. They have plenty of other packages too. You can do a one-day pass, 10 bucks, just all picks, see what they're about. I recommend doing a season-long pass, but you can do a week-long pack pass for any sport for ten bucks. You can do a month-long package in any sport for a hundred bucks. Some price may vary. You can do it by golf tournament. Their Charles Schwab Cup, the Fort Worth event, right in my neck of the woods, twenty-five bucks. Their picks are up now. Will be all weekend. I recommend a full season on all sports. You can do a full season sports centric. You can do a month-long sports centric package. Point being, you get the point. They're going to have a package that fits your price frame. I cannot me- recommend these guys enough. They are going to make you money. They are going to profit. And the last thing I didn't even mention is if you buy the month-long package to enter into the contest, they're already running a promo on top of this promo that if you buy the month-long package and it doesn't profit, you get your money back. So there's really no way to not make money in this. I don't know what you're doing. If you like sports gambling, you like sports wagering, these guys know what they're doing, and they're offering you free plays and promos on top of it. And here's one more kicker, because they're a men of the people. You put in the promo code RIPPY, whatever package you do purchase, you're getting 20% off. How the hell is that for a tease? If you're not checking out Skybox, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. We're going to get Greg on next week. Another grill corner, maybe a little bit of a horse corner, steroid corner, with the way that industry is trending these days. Uh, get his recap of the Preakness, I guess that was. Maybe it was, yeah, Preakness. I don't know. I'm not a horse expert. I'll leave that to Craig. But check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. If you're a subscriber to the Rippy Rights newsletter, you're getting a 16-ounce prime strip for 10 bucks in any second or third, fourth, fifth, one, however many you want after that for 15 bucks plus $2 off any fish they have in the freezer. That's all you have to do is go subscribe to rippyrights.substack.com. You go to that uh, URL that I just said. Type in your email. It's free. Who doesn't love free meats? Check them out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. If you listen to this podcast, you know what LB's is about. It's absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. It's really incredible the uh, the amount of feedback I get from just how amazing LB's is. And the occasional person I still get that has never gone before that is like, 
oh my God, that place is amazing. Yeah, no kidding. We don't screw around on this podcast. Check them out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. This is the pod we promised you if, you're, uh, if you've been following along on Twitter. Colin is at the SEC baseball tournament, squeezed in an hour uh, of his time with his dad going to watch the games to do a podcast with this. So if you're pumped, this podcast is happening on a Friday because we didn't guarantee another one this week. Thank Colin because he's the one that made the time. I answered your mailbag Friday questions that were mostly baseball singers at the end. A little solo rippy action, uh, which no one asked for, but you got anyway. So without further ado, tons of baseball talk, pitching strategy, how this translates to the regional, what Ole Miss needs to do to earn a national seed. We covered it all. Uh, buckle up. Let's roll. Rippy writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Thursday night, Friday. I don't know. We'll go mailbag Friday. It's the first one we had in a while. I am Brian Scott Rippy. That was an awful podcast intro, but I appreciate you turn, tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Rights podcast. Go subscribe to the Rippy Rights newsletter at rippyrights.substack.com. Never been more relevant, uh, the old newsletter and Rippy Rights brand, than it has this week because I may be the only human on earth that covers Mississippi golf on a weekly basis. And so this is just the peak of my existence. What's up, dude? Not much. I, uh, I have never watched more. I can say this, honest to God, a uh, uh, truth. I have never watched more golf in my life than I have this week. It's that is, that is a factual statement. So one, I didn't even introduce you. I forgot that. I'm really just all over the place. And if you weren't <laughs> in a time crunch, cause you are at the sec tournament, I probably would have started it over, but that is Colin Brister on the other end of the line as he always is. Glad I got snuck that part in there. But, uh, yeah, before we get to the baseball, so what do you think? As someone who doesn't watch golf, don't you think that shit is way more entertaining than stroke play? I think team match play is awesome. All right, so you, stroke play is just where everyone plays and you try to, like, you combine scores at the end and you just see who has the lowest scores and, like, five advance. Am I, am I correct in that? Yes, Phil Mickelson won the PGA Championship because he was seven under par for the week and no one else, got, no one else was seven under par. Okay, yeah, see, that, I couldn't watch that. I could watch what Ole Miss did the past two days pretty regularly. Matt, so that's uh, what the Ryder Cup is. If I don't know if you knew that. So imagine right. what that is with, like, Europe and the USA and 25,000 people in the stands. Yeah, I could watch that. Yeah, it's crazy, and they show a lot more emotion. But So I imagine the whole picking up putts thing had to confuse you, where they're not putting the ball in the hole and hitting practice putts. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was a touch confusing. Um, and, like, I'm coming over to Hoover, and, like, my internet's going in and out because I'm watching on my computer as the uh, first I'm going with is driving. And, like, I, so I got confused a lot. But I, I did knew when I, I did know when Ole Miss won the national title, that was good. Yes. Tell, you, you picked up on the gist of the sport. They are uh, – and, and, you know, we don't have to get too far into this. I'll probably do some solo stuff off the top because I know you got a limited time frame. But what a just a joy to watch. And that team – you know, there's kind of a relentlessness and a ruthlessness in match play that makes you good match play players. There's plenty of good professional golfers that are good match play players that, like, Ian Poulter might be one of the best of all time, and you would never think of him as the greatest golfers of all time. But something about some people, when you put them head-to-head -head against one person and your job is to go destroy them as opposed to try to shoot as low as par as possible, it brings out the best. And, you know, those, ki those kids are e equally as talented in stroke play, but the team just kind of had a, a little bit of a FU mentality in match play, you know, Chase Parham wrote a good story on Julia Johnson a while back to where she kind of said it too. She rejected kind of the underdog mentality. This was no fluke. That team is good and they kicked ass and they'll be good again next year. But it was just awesome to watch. It was. I never, I never really thought I'd uh, 
I'd see when Ole Miss team won a national title in my lifetime. So uh, definitely take that. No, it was awesome. Um, so yeah, there's probably as I got in, I, I got into the hotel and turned the uh, TV on. Either it had to be because like there's plenty of LSU and Arkansas fans here. There had to be some guys like across the, the hall wondering why is some idiot yelling about golf at 4:30 on a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> and they, they could not have played out any stress free for uh, Ole Miss and a lot of people watching because. They really just kicked their ass. Like I had people yeah, it wasn't me, it was like, you know, one of the girls that was down lost a hole, and I was like, she's the only one down, and the other people are in front of her. Like Ole Miss is going to put up a clean sweep before this even matters. So they, uh, they kind of destroyed the competition. I'll have some more content on that uh, probably by the time you're listening to this. If you're listening on Friday, out in the newsletter and some other stuff, I hopped in on the press conference last night. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Don't want to uh, shortchange them, but we are here to talk about baseball. And you do have a uh, limited time window. So let's just get right into that. We've got some Mailbag Friday questions to answer. But let's just kind of go through the week that's been for Ole Miss. Sure. I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on Thursday. Doug did exactly what Doug's been doing. Tuesday. wasn't the Tuesday. best version of Doug, but he was pretty good. And that's all yeah. Ole Miss needed. So, uh, really, you can just talk about Thursday because the game freaking ended at, like, 1 o'clock this morning. So, um Really, everything just kind of happened on Thursday. Basically, we played a doubleheader today, if you think about it. You, they really did. I mean, I was actually thinking about that because I was not <laughs> able to watch like I normally would watch an Ole Miss baseball game from this kind of different spectator vantage point I have now. Uh, today, because I do – say today being Thursday, the game against Georgia, because I do have an office job now. And, you know, I, I'm not hauling in a flat screen to my cubicle. I don't think the folks over there would take too kindly to that. <laughs> But that being said, I got all up on my phone and I'm kind of keeping up and I had a little radio uh, deal going with the computer and the earpiece. Uh, as always, if you're someone from Dark Pro Solutions, I'm just making this up for the sheep listeners that we have and I was doing work. So that being said, yeah, it really was. It's kind of weird. And that's an underrated quality of or quality of kind of teams that translate well to Hoover or teams that kind of change their season in Hoover. You're going to have some of that. You're going to play at one o'clock in the morning. And if you lose, a lot of times your turn, it's an early turnaround. It's happened to Ole Miss before. That's not easy to do, uh, particularly from a hitting standpoint. No. Um, so, you know, I, I thought, you know, it's funny. We were good to get into Vanderbilt on Thursday no, or Wednesday night. I thought Ole Miss played well. And and sometimes you just play well and the other team really went, it just wins the game. Uh, Broadway wasn't available. Um, and, you know, if Broadway wasn't been available, Ole Miss would have won that game. It, it's kind of just unfortunate what happened to him on Thursday night or I guess Wednesday night. Um, but, yeah, it's it's part of it. And, uh, you know, it was impressive that they were able to bounce back at like 12 hours later and, and put up the performance that they did. Yeah, so let's hit Vanderbilt first. And I think I, I could not agree with your sentiment more about what happened last night. I thought Ole Miss played really well. You know, I was writing in the newsletter today, and it went out a little later than usual uh, just because some work stuff I had going on. But I, I wrote kind of the same thing. I was like, you know, they lose this game, but I'm having a hard time uh, you know, take a kind of – I don't know. A lot of times when they've lost games this year, you kind of write, here's what went wrong, here's why they're not good enough, here's why they're bad. I had a hard time finding anything that fell into those categories for that game. Derek no. Diamond was really good. I mean, I, I, I sent out a tweet last night uh, saying kind of the same thing. Like, could you have like, – if that was the only time he pitches in Hoover, which I imagine it will be, maybe, um, maybe not, but I, I would assume that would be the only time he pitches in Hoover. Like, could you have – bottled up a better dosage of confidence confidence for Derek Diamond heading into the regional? Because uh, I don't think you could. That's something we've talked about a lot is, like, 
can this kid have a good start against Georgia? He had an okay start against Georgia, but he yep. didn't implode, which is something to build on. And then had a really good start against Vanderbilt. I, I'm not sure what more you could have asked or wanted for the kid in terms of building up his confidence. He was awesome. Yeah, no, he was. Uh, the stuff was good. And, and you talk about from a confidence standpoint. Um, you know, I, I don't really understand how he wouldn't be confident when he takes them out in a regional game on, on Friday or, or Saturday. Um, someone made a point to me about Diamond today that I didn't really think about. Do you think that that performance lets my – and I didn't think about it from this perspective. I think that if 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 we've talked about the decision to throw Doug versus the four seed or the two seed, whatever, um, I think that decision and the way Diamond performed lets it be a little bit easier maybe to throw him against the four seed because I think what Mike's mentality would be is I am not losing to this four seed by God. I'm not going to do it, and I'll get into the game on Saturday. That Derek Diamond's not losing to a four seed, and and I just wonder if that – let's Mike free up and, and maybe throw him against the four seed. I think – I definitely think that. And I kind of thought that going into the Georgia series. And we hit on that a little bit. We didn't really kind of articulate it because it was still a long ways off. But I think the Georgia start mattered as well. If he was a disaster against Georgia and then Vanderbilt lit him up like they did the first time, saying it's a built-in excuse – is not the right way to put it because, again, barring a couple exceptions, there's really no reason Doug should throw against a four seed at all, no matter how bad Diamond is or Drew McDaniel, unless, you know, they're just you know, non-competitive atrocious. But it's, it's, it's putting the seed of doubt, I guess, in Mike's mind as to whether, you know, because that's a risk for him. Starting, I mean, starting someone else other than Doug Nikhazy in his mind against a four seed is a risk. And sure. so you're kind of planting that seed of doubt that makes him less inclined or more averse to taking that risk to whereas the way you just said it and what, we, what we're kind of talking about now, he was okay to good against Georgia. I thought the best thing he did, and we covered this in the Sunday podcast, was not implode when they got a couple runners on on two different occasions. I believe that was the second and third inning. It may have been the first and the third. I can't remember off the top of my head. But held it together and was put it together a competitive outing. And then really for – I mean – I know the length wasn't up to this standard, but he was really just kind of magnificent. He gets an out in the sixth inning. He has eight strikeouts, two walks against Vanderbilt. I definitely think that instills more confidence in a risk-averse guy. It's not even risk-averse. It's just kind of breaking him out of old habits, whatever you want to call it, and Mike Bianco to uh, to start Derek Diamond against the fourth seed and hold Doug Nikhazy, which is the correct strategy to deploy. So I definitely think it gives him more confidence. I thought last night from a stuff standpoint – I was trying to go back and think, and it's hard because I, I don't have time to go back and, like, watch all these games and how I don't even know if some of the February ones are still available. But from a stuff standpoint, he has six, eight strikeouts and two walks, particularly behind the fastball. The fastball was good, but it had kind of been that way since the Georgia start for a couple weeks. Uh, I thought that everything behind the fastball was as good and as sharp as it had been in quite a while. What did you think? Yeah, yeah. So, it's hard for me, right, to, to see because I'm at the stadium. Um, but, yeah, look. I mean, you can – I've always heard the hitters will let you know how good your stuff is. And uh, we're talking about one of the best offenses in the country, if not the best offense in the country, and he made them look silly for a while. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously his stuff was elite because otherwise he doesn't have that type of performance against Vanderbilt. Uh, the velocity was really good in the first inning. It dropped off because that's always what happens. He comes out guns blazing and then throws the crap out of it for an inning, which I'm fine with. And then the velocity settles in 91-93, and that's fine. 
Um, but I, I thought he was really able to – I could see he could throw a breaking ball for a strike, which is what he needs. He pitched to both sides of the plate, which is what he needs. He stayed out of the middle of the plate. Yeah, sure, there was some decent luck at times last night. But I thought this was important too. I thought there were some times where he could blow up, and he didn't. Like T.J. McCants drops the ball in center field, and the guy's at third. Well, this – and there's two outs. Well, this is where Derek Diamond throws the fastball down the middle, and they – they hit a ball in the right center field gap, and all hell breaks loose. He strikes the guy out on four pitches. Um, in the second inning, I believe, he has second, third, two outs. He makes the pitch to get off the field. And while I'm not a, a big believer in Mike Bianco's, but we just have to make the pitch thing. Like, I don't believe in that crap. Um, I do think there is something to be said for a guy that has struggled at times to finish off innings, being able to finish off innings in big situations. Yeah, absolutely. And backtracking to the part he talked about where, like, the hitters will know – let you know how good your stuff is. Vanderbilt does strike out a lot. I believe they're second in the SEC in strikeouts uh, aside from South Carolina, who strikes out a ton. I don't think that's much of a shocking number. No. But be that as it may, I think wanted, a good way to articulate just how good he was against a lineup that's really good was the guys behind him were not bad. Now, Jackson Kimbrell wasn't good, but I'm kind of talking uh, about Jack Doherty to where Doherty put through two pretty good innings and really wasn't bad in the ninth, but it, he ran out of gas a little bit and Vanderbilt made him pay for the slightest of mistakes. And I guess what I'm trying to get at there is like, you know, there was that not that, that he didn't have that margin for error, that, that him being diamond to where like, I didn't think Jack Doherty and we can get to this in a minute was bad. I thought he ran out of gas a little bit yeah, and maybe made a couple mistakes, but they weren't anything egregious. I mean, how the pitch that he lost the game was the other batter's box. I guess what I'm trying to get at is Vanderbilt's a good enough offense where if you make a slight mistake, they're good enough to score two runs in an inning and make you pay. And Absolutely. he never really got to diamond at all. No, no. Um, you know, you're, you're completely right. Wrap me up on diamond. He, uh, I, I thought he still had a little bit more left in the tank. I, I understood when Mike took him out, and I probably honestly would have left I probably would have taken him out when he did. Um, but I, I thought he was cruising. Um, but you're talking about a guy, too. Like, you have to weigh that. You have to weigh, all right, what I need to do from this guy's confidence standpoint, what I need to do from I need the Rebels to win this game. Um, you know, that's that's two different things and two different decisions that Mike Matt has to make. And I, and I thought ultimately he probably made the right one. But it would not have shocked me if he'd have left Derek Diamond in that game if he could have gotten through six, six and a third and, and linked into this outing. But you have to weigh that against, all right, what, what the hell is this kid going to think if I leave him in here and he blows up too? Yeah, I think he handled that perfectly, right? Because we talked about this before, particularly when they get second. And, you know, I think it was approaching, if I'm not mistaken, third time through the order when they get to the right. sixth inning. He gets the first pitch fly out and then he walks Jones. And it was on five pitches. And if I'm not mistaking the – the one strike may have been a little bit of a gift. I can't remember how that played out, but I remember thinking it was a little bit lucky. I didn't have a problem at all with Mike being like, okay, I've seen enough here. We're not ruining what he, this kid has here. Let's go ahead and go to Kimbrell. I didn't have a problem with that at all. I agree. I think he was kind of cruising. You probably could have left him in maybe another batter and seen what happened. But at the same time, you're nursing a 3-1 to lead in a game that you really, really need to win in terms of you know, trying to actually improve your chances at this tournament of being a top eight seed. I had no problem with it. And, you know, if he does leave him out to dry – and there's a happy medium, right? He could have left him in for another batter. But, I mean, hell, if the, the, the Neve kid or however you say his name tanks one over the fence and Diamond leaves with a no decision, you, you don't feel nearly as good about it despite the result not being that much different in terms of how he pitched. Sure. Um, so, 
I, I'd like to get into this. I did not think Kimbrell was as bad as his result. I mean, if you remember his his first – the first ball they hit is on a hit and run on two strikes where the ball's not hit hard at all. It's a double play. It's a double play or at least yeah. it's out if Gonzalez is not headed towards the bag. It's no one's fault. Right. And then they, they hit, a, had a, hit a blooper. And then the third hit was hit pretty well. Um, I didn't think he was as bad as his result. Where I – after the game when Mike said that Broadway was not available was a little frustrated with Mike was if Broadway's not available, he kind of brought Doherty in too soon, didn't he? Yes. But what do you do? So, I first of all, I, I, don't, I didn't think Kimbrell was bad either. The poor kid – I mean – you know, you have the single and then you have the bloop. You know, if the bloop is catchable and if stands or butts, but like if it's not the hit and run and the bloops there, the inning doesn't go any further. You know what I mean? Like he's out of yeah. it. He kind of did his job. It was just, and I hate that that's baseball phrase, but Vanderbilt hit two softly hit balls that were not where Ole Miss defenders were. And that happened sometimes. And then the third single was tagged, like you mentioned. But like, and then he didn't help him his cause at all with the whole bunt deal. We're looking off that guy as long as he did. Right, that was what it was with the bunt deal. I, I got confused, but yes. But you're not losing Wait, any. By top. the way, on TV, was he out? He looked out at the stadium. So no, he was safe. Um, okay. But I, I okay, but you're not wrong because the first two glances before they slowed it down on TV, I was like, oh, they're reviewing that. He's out. He's definitely out. And then even the first replay, I said, yeah, he's out. And then they slow mode it. And I don't really know what it was about the replay, and I'd probably sound like an idiot trying to describe it. He was safe, but for whatever reason, the way that looked, he looked very out, and it looked like a blown call, but it was not. Okay, fair enough. But I, I thought the same thing as you. Where So Kimbrell wasn't good, right? He didn't do his job, and he didn't get out. But you're not – like, there's a difference than, you know, Vanderbilt launching two nukes to the gap and another single, and he's not competitive at all. I don't think you're losing any conference in – confidence in kind of what Jackson Kimball has built himself back up to be over the last three weeks over what happened last night, because other than one ball, there was not a single hard hit ball that he faced. Well, I mean, if we're staying on Jackson Kimball. I would think that if Ole Miss wins on Friday, he starts on Saturday. I think he has to. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really I don't, know where else you go. Cause they're, and we can get to it in a minute. You, but you know where else you go. You know where else you'd go. Okay. <laughs> you know where he'd go. I do. I, uh, I haven't we had. We got to... a shot here. We got a shot of Josh Mallets versus Jack Leiter. Oh, oh. <laughs> I, I you know what? I'm not even going to say anything else. That might have been the perfect reaction is the most natural one. But we'll get to that in a second. Anyway, so, yeah, I didn't think Kimball was bad. Just some bad luck. And it was kind of the same deal with uh, – with uh, Brandon Johnson the night before, and maybe this is as good of a time as right. any to get into the bullpen conversation before we get to Doherty, was uh, went Tuesday night against Auburn, you know, Brandon Johnson's stat line doesn't look very good, but before he gives up that double, the umpire squeezed him at least twice. I didn't think he was bad. The velocity was fine. He made a couple mistakes and had a couple misplaced pitches, but I really didn't think other than that he was bad. And I guess what I'm – you know, Doherty was good, and we'll get to that in a second, but the whole – Kimbrell, Brandon Johnson thing, kind of being in that mix of the roulette that Mike's playing to who's going to be good on a certain night. Despite their lines not being very good, I don't think either one of those guys did anything that would make your confidence dip in them. I thought both of them, no, the I mean, line, they just got bad baseball results. Especially when, you know, Brandon Johnson was was a dominant today. Uh, yes. George, Georgia had no prayer. Uh, but I, I – Yes, I had a tweet that got sent out that I think got misinterpreted. I was like, I, I thought Johnson was good. 
whatever. I thought he had crap luck. I thought the kid had really, really bad luck on Tuesday night. Um, I thought he was good, man. He throws 95 to 97. Fastball's got some cut to it. Throws a slider in the strike zone. That's going to play. That's going to play over an inning, an inning, and a third. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he found something in Brandon Johnson. And, no, I, my confidence is, is not wavered with, with Jackson Kimbrell. I think if he's in the strike zone, he's really good. He's really effective. And, and some unfortunate things happen on Wednesday night to him. I don't, I don't think that's the last you'll see of him in this tournament. Um, and if it is, I don't think that goes well for the Rebels. No, and he started off in the strike zone, but you could tell kind of when he started having a little bit of shit luck. Rattled may not be the right word, but like he was kind of uh, maybe a slightly flustered because he did have a couple pitches where, you know, Hayden Dunhurst is kind of doing the matrix to keep that shit from going to the backstop. But he did start off in the strike zone. I thought he was fine. Uh, welcome to Twitter, by the way, talking about your Brandon Johnson thing from uh, Tuesday night because you've been beating the Brandon Johnson drum for – what, seven or eight weeks now? And then you tweet out, I thought Brandon Johnson was good. And the first five people that kind of latch onto that tweet uh, think it's you just waving the white flag on the theory in terms of instead of you actually saying, I thought he was good in this game. It just was bad luck. But welcome to the internet in 2021 in a nutshell. But I think that's an encouragement. You know, Ole Miss is 2-1 and one in this tournament, and they lose a tough game uh, last night. And we'll finish recapping the Vanderbilt game in a second. But, like, has there been anything? Like, you know, it feels like, You've had this pattern every week for this team, particularly since Gunner went down, and he was a, even a little bit before it, where, you know, Gunner or Doug leaves a game, the bullpen kind of stinks, maybe the offense falters, whatever, and it kind of leaves you with a bad feeling in terms of this, uh, in terms of this team ceiling and kind of what they could be. I don't think anything has happened this week, despite the one loss, to where you're like, eh, that didn't look great. Like, has there been any sort of thing where you're like, okay, don't love that type of thing with this group? Because – they played pretty well this week. TJ McCants. Okay, fair. The the center field not not great. Probably should catch. Oh, I, I I'm not talking about center field. Talking about uh, hitting. Like, yeah, he's he's struggling right now. So uh, I'm not worried about him. I just he's not been good. Do you think that's anything indicative long term though? No, 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 no. no. Yeah, it's. No. I guess I, that was more what I was getting at because the bullpen issues they had. It's like, oh, great, here we go again. There hasn't been any of that. I guess I was mostly mostly just speaking towards the bullpen. But yeah, I mean, go ahead. No, I just you know I'm trying to think in my head here what the bullpen has done ERA wise this week, and I don't think it would actually be pretty from a statistical standpoint. But I think what they've done, you would absolutely take. I mean, they go what 2.1 scoreless today. I think they went 3.2 and gave up three against Vanderbilt. That's not great, obviously, but that's not really fair either. and then, you know, against Auburn, obviously you talk about the Johnson double. Uh, Broadway throws two scoreless innings to end it or 2.1. So, it, it, if you look at it from a statistical standpoint, it doesn't look great from the bullpen ERA perspective. But, yeah, like you said, I, I think they've been good this week. And um, the farther they go in the tournament, they, they've got, they're going to have more opportunities to, uh, to display or, or to find guys. Because, I mean, it, it, let's be real, if this team is going to win two more games and get to Sunday uh, – it ain't going to be just Brandon Johnson and uh, Taylor Broadway getting outs. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll kind of surmise it in this way before we get to Doherty, Elko, and the end of this Vanderbilt thing. If those two bullpen arms, particularly Kimbrell and Brandon Johnson, pitch the way they do in those sure. two spots in a regional, Ole Miss has a damn good shot of going 3-0 and bar and something funky happening. Yeah. Um, so, everyone worries about this bullpen, and I get it. But, I mean, let's – 
you know, I think I trust Jack Doherty in big situations. I well, no, I'll rephrase. I do try, trust Jack Doherty in big situations. You can talk about what happened last night or whatever. Kid was at the end of his rope. He was tired. Uh, I trust Taylor Broadway in any situation. Um, I trust Brandon Johnson in any situation. I'm getting close to that point with Kimbrell. I, I know what happened last night, but as we've been over, it was it was not it, he was not blistered. I mean, it I, I one thought hard hit ball. one. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's. I, I, I trust those four guys. You don't need much else if your starting pitching is fine and, and the starting pitching has been really good this week. Now, do I believe that that's, you know, going to be consistent? I don't because, frankly, it's just not been shown this season that it's going to be consistent. But uh, you don't need them to be consistent to win a regional. You need them to be, you know, they need them to show up on one weekend. And if they can do that, that that'll put you in a super regional and then, you know, you'll uh, play for – to go to the College World Series. Um but, yeah, I look, I think the bullpen's fine. I think they're in a good situation. I think they found guys they rely on. And the more you get – the deeper you get into this tournament, you're going to have to find more and more guys. I, yeah, I think you're right because it's, it's, it's also not fluky, right? I mean, like there's – the bullpen thing is really interesting to me because what Jack, Jack Doherty is throwing, that don't play against anyone in the country. What Brandon Johnson is throwing in terms of, like, you know, 95 – Pretty good changeup, Jack Doherty. Ninety-three, pretty good breaking ball. That'll play against anyone. I just think it's the lack of sample size, coupled with the fact that Jack Doherty was redshirting. You know, thirty-five, forty days ago. Maybe it's, no, I guess it's about fifty at this point. We give my point. You know, midway through April, that kid still didn't have his redshirt ripped off of him. And Brandon Johnson's SEC debut came in the second to last series, and that coupled with the fact that. You know, you had that five-and-a-half-week stretch, you know, end of March, early April, really the first few weekends of SEC play minus the two sweeps, and even parts of the two sweeps, the bullpen wasn't great. You saw them get to the point where they just couldn't find guys to get outs. I think that's where a lot of people's hesitations reside. But I agree. If you're talking about a trust a trust bucket, uh, in-between bucket, and a hell-no-I-don't-want-you-out-there bucket, I'm probably bucketing Brandon Johnson and Jack Doherty in the trust bucket Despite the lack of a sample size, I'm Kimbrell. I'm like you. I'm in the middle. I'd probably throw Wes Burton in there, too, and Tyler Myers as well. And then, you know, the rest of the guys that we don't even really need to name go in the other bucket. It's just a weird dynamic because two of the three guys you trust most, uh, really just the, the maybe the two you trust most, not named Taylor Broadway, uh, had no role on this team in March. It's true. That absolutely is I, true. Like that's, that's the weird part about this, but it doesn't make it any less real. Yeah. No, I, I – so you trust those guys, and, and, and really I don't – you know, hopefully someone else emerges over the end of the week or the course of the week. I mean, you're going to – like I keep saying, you guys are going to get opportunities tomorrow. Because I don't think – I don't – look, I don't think they expect Tyler Myers to go five or six innings. I think if Tyler Myers goes three innings and gives up two runs tomorrow, they'll take it. Um, so – you know, I, I think they got to fill six innings, um, you know, and, and if Broadway wasn't available on Wednesday night after throwing an inning today, which I didn't think was smart, by the way. Um, but, oh, I had that on the list. Don't worry. Um, no, somebody else didn't think it was smart. Anyways, I, if, if he's not available tomorrow, then I'm not sure what you're doing from a closing perspective, unless Brandon Johnson can come back. He probably can. Um, but you got to fill a lot of innings, I guess is my point. And, you know, so you got to, you got to, it's, it's what I kind of said this morning. You got to get through this tournament with some guys that haven't performed, but you know, they, they're on scholarship for a reason. They're on this team for a reason. And, you know, 
it's it's easier to get outs at Hoover than it is anywhere else in the country. So um, we'll see. But you know, like you said, Brandon Johnson, Jackson Kimbrell, Taylor Broadway, Jack Doherty, that's that's your four bullpen arms right now, and maybe a little Tyler Myers. And uh, it's just going to be the guys you ride with at this point. Yes, I agree. I mean, the, the, really the best way to sum that up is it, to, to kind of go on my kind of crappy, corny analogy. Tomorrow is a non-trust bucket day. Some of those dudes in that bucket right now are going to have to pitch and get outs, and if they don't, they're going to go home, and that's okay. But, you know, at least they're getting the opportunity against SEC yep. offense to prove themselves one more time before it really, really, really matters, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, obviously, I don't think the guys that are going to throw tomorrow will throw high leverage innings next week in the first two games. But, you know, um, it gives them experience in case Ole Miss does screw around and lose a game in a regional. I will say this. I'll say this. I, I think there's a very real opportunity for Ole Miss to go 3-0 next week. I'm beginning to think, though, that they could lose on Sunday night and still win the regional. I don't think they can go full-blown into the loser's bracket, but I think they could just outslug somebody on Monday night if they had to. I, I, I've, I've kind of moved on from the stance that they have to go through it 3-0, and though. Okay, so I, that, I'm glad you brought that up, and we can hit that real quick before we finish this game. To me, I, I guess I agree with you on that. In my mind, though, every time I'm sitting there saying – they can't get into the loser's bracket. It's losing the game against the two or three seed is what I was talking about. Because if you go 2-0 and and then you lose the Sunday night game and have to play again Monday, that's kind of a winner-take-all, and you're taking that offense against whatever else the other team has left. Like, when I say, like, they don't need to get into the loser's bracket, and I know you're technically right if they do lose on Sunday. Like, that's a loss, and they have they are not 3-0. and My thing is they got it. Like, I guess the best way to put it is, they need to go 2-0 because that's really where you get into trouble. I agree. If they have to play a fourth game to win a regional, I'll take that offense and whatever else they have left versus anyone else that's, uh, you know, come to play on the road instead of hosting their own regional. I, sure. I advantage Ole Miss no matter what. I agree with that. I think there's enough left in the tank there. I guess a month ago before, you know, Doherty and Johnson entered the picture, we might have had different opinions. So your point is well stated, but I agree with that. Let's – uh. Let's wrap up this Vanderbilt game because, I again, it, it's weird. It, it, was that the best loss of the season? I, I mean, that sounds dumb coming up next on first um, game. But, like, you know, you lose the game. It's a tough game. It sucks. But, like, they played pretty well. That may have been yeah. the best they played in a loss uh, this year. That or the game three against Florida, I think. Yeah, so that's a good one. But McDaniel sucked in that one, right? No, it was dominant. That was dominant. That was bad. Oh, that's, that was, that's right. Yeah. But, yeah, so so probably this Vanderbilt one. So, uh, next storyline, uh, Tim Elko. Uh, describe him <laughs> any word you want. Kid's a, kid's a legend, man. Um, <laughs> you know, like, how, how scared – or and I get it. I would have done the same thing. But how funny is it that uh, Georgia's walking a guy with one ACL? They're intentionally walking him two times. That's kind of funny. They actually – that actually does need to be talked about. They have to switch Elko and Graham up because any time that Elko comes up in a situation right now with an open base, they're just walking him. So, they, they've got to switch Graham and Elko up. And that's something Mike can catch on to. That's not some analytically sound thing that's going to frustrate you every time he tweets out the lineup card and says, here how we're lining up tonight. He'll catch on to something like that. It's just still the newness of Elko being the everyday DH because, you know – you know, I'm old enough to remember nine days ago where he didn't exactly still know what you had. <laughs> okay, right? Like, this is so new. I think you're right. Tell you now, 
tweet that while I was at work. I think you're right, but that's something Michael catch on to. He was fine getting from first to third today. Like he this, was. this is you have your DH back at this point. Like I know he's got a torn ACL and you got to do a few things different, but like Tim Oko's back. It, 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 uh, it's kind of weird because you never kind of expected that, but like he's your DH and that you're going to roll out there every day with it. So uh, this lineup has gone from pretty good to scary. Yeah. So I'll, yeah, yes, 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 they have. Uh, I mean, Mike, you know, I know you were at the game, uh, but you, so you didn't hear this. They did the dugout interview or whatever. Right. Uh, I thought Chris Peterson, by the way, was really, really good last night because he really hammered the point home of if Ole, this Ole Miss team is going to do something, Derek Diamond is the guy you need to look at in the postseason. He is kind of their everything in terms of they're actually going to do some damage. I thought they were really good on the broadcast, but it was funny. They were asking about Elko and the knee or whatever, and he asked some throwaway – someone asked a throwaway question at the end of it just about like kind of encapsulating what he's done, and Mike goes – yeah, well, he's hitting fifth in a pretty good lineup. And that was the end of the interview. Like, <laughs> that's a great way to describe it. As surly as Mike can be sometimes, it's, it's – I don't even really know where to begin. You know, my father – I'm a 26-year-old man, but my, my father still gets upset with me sometimes for uh, using swear words too often on Twitter. But when he hit that first ball home run, I couldn't do any – I mean, I couldn't hold myself back. I just said, holy shit, what a legend. I don't really know how else to surmise it than that. That ballpark is – massive one he goes oppo i i put this in the mail I, I put this in the newsletter today today being thursday i said i was sitting down the right field line doing super talks radio show while Ole miss was playing a game in 2019 so i'm covering the game and doing radio kevin graham absolutely nuked a ball off some kid, poor kid from arkansas in 2019 and that thing clanged off the bottom of the scoreboard and my instinct was professional lines crossed aside should I go retrieve this ball for this kid in case he wants it back? Because I've never seen anything like that. Elko hit that ball 75 to 80% as far, opposite field on one ACL. He's a stud, man. He's a stud. Like, what in the world? How, look, I've, I've done the whole – because I thought it was unrealistic that he would be the everyday DH again. I did. I honestly thought it was unrealistic he would come back and hit again. I put my hand up. I could not have been more wrong, and that's a testament to that kid. I'm not asking you to do the same thing. I am putting it to you this way. You were way more optimistic about this than I was. Did you expect this, though? I didn't expect it to be this good. I, I always thought that that kid would do anything to get back on the field. That's why I gave him a chance. Um, but, no, if, if I thought he was going to come back and be this absurd, I, you know, I would be lying if I said I thought that was going to happen. Um, and, you know, everyone talks about – so this kid's at four home runs since he's come back, right? And everyone okay. talks about the A&M one. Like, when his first one back, yay, Tim hit a home run. It's like, that's great and all, but when you talk about the three other home runs this cat's hit, like, they were all massive, massive home runs, like, really, really important compared to the one at A&M that was just – it was cool, but it didn't matter. Um, so, it, this kid has just transformed Ole Miss's lineup, and, and now they're a powerhouse. And, man, if they get starting pitching like they've got in the past two days – going to be tough for me not to see outside of a bad matchup maybe with Tennessee it's going to be tough for me to not see this team in, in the college world series which I know that just came out of your mouth but like April 
third. I'm trying to think. The no. day after Gunner got hurt, no, no possible. Yeah, that's in May. I was trying to add it up in my head, and I just couldn't do it. No, I, I, until the the second Gunner was out for the year, I thought this team would go to the College World Series. Okay, yeah, I, I, definitely. But the way that A and M game ends, I guess Monday after A and M, like, would you have thought that was a that was a thing? No. I, I just I'm running out of adjectives to describe the guy. Uh, but I, I guess the best way if we're actually going to actually try to give analysis on this podcast. He is back, and I would be the last one, ultimate skeptic, to kind of be like, I don't know about this, like, completely back. Uh, you saw it in the game today. He goes first to third on a single. Uh, I hate to correct Elko. Someone tweeted that, and he, I saw him on social media quote tweet it, and he said, have to show off the wheels. I didn't do it because I was at work, but I just wanted to quote tweet it and be like, hey, man, don't sell yourself short. It's wheel. It's one. Like, <laughs> you ain't got two, pal. <laughs> You have one. Please don't sell yourself short. It's like that Caddyshack line. You're a tremendous slouch. Uh, yeah, he's got one wheel. I, I don't even really know how to articulate it because then he goes deep again. And, you know, without without some bad luck from the Doherty thing and, and him running out of gas, Elko almost single-handedly won them a huge baseball game in Hoover. Yes, he had all four RBIs. And, I mean, you know, if the ball that was hit at Justin Bench is two inches or a foot to the right, it's a 5-4-3 double play and they win the game on Tim Elko's back. Um, so yeah, kids are stud, man. Uh, I just want to, you know, look, obviously I've graduated from Ole Miss, Ole Miss fan or whatever. He's one of my favorite players to watch play. Um, outside of maybe Dexter and Eli, like, yeah, th- th- this kid's probably running top three for me after, you know, him coming back, you know, what no, no, what nobody talks about and I get it, but what nobody talks about is this kid sat on the bench for two years. Um, you know, so, and most kids that do that transfer, and, and he didn't. He just came back and continued to work, and obviously he's one hell of a baseball player. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, before we move on, uh, I'll, 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 I'll pitch this to you, and this is going to sound like a weird, stupid question, but, but stick with me. When he went out, the offense didn't really miss a beat, right? Right. So, now he's back hitting fifth, and no, he's not fully healthy. That's obvious, getting the uh, medical diagnosis out of the way. But he has proven that he can stay in a game for three to four bats if need to be. He went first to third on a single against Georgia on Thursday. What, how do you quantify what advantage he brings to the Ole Miss offense, given that they weren't really, like, struggling without him? But, like, if you can encapsulate or point to something that's the biggest advantage of having a Tim Elko bat back in the lineup, outside of the obvious, where would you point to if that makes so, sense at all? So. Well, when we talk about this offense being really good without Tim Elko, and it was, um, we we got to consider the fact that they didn't run the ball out of the ballpark a whole hell of a lot. There were a lot of doubles, singles team outside of Graham. They're um, a bottom, they're bottom six team in the conference in home runs. I think that's what he provides is the ability to run the ball out of the ballpark. Um, you know, you, you add him back into the fray, and now you've got you've got two guys in Graham with really three Graham Gonzalez and Elko that you know double digit home runs. Um, so yeah, it's it's now you've got three guys in that middle that are where that they can just run you out of the park if you're not careful, and uh, you know. So I think that's what he provides is a, is a real real home run threat. And the I think that's exactly right. And I think the other part of that is is you're still not having to kind of screw around all the time with who's DHing today. Sure. Just, um, you know, the Ben Van Cleve, the Calvin Harris, you know, a couple of those other guys, that was not always the greatest option and the greatest kind of roulette game to play, and you've completely eliminated that with him playing every day. Sure. Uh, you do need to start screwing around with who's going to play first base, though. 
Okay, so I go ahead. You go there. I'll buy all no, I, I mean, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but I, I do think it's ridiculous that uh, Hayden Leatherwood gets put on the bench and Kel Baker continues to play. That's an interesting way to bring that up. Hold that thought for like two seconds. Let's finish this Vanderbilt game out because I, I find that fascinating. I think we got a mailbag question about it. So, Doherty was really good for two innings. I didn't think he was bad in the ninth. He ran out of gas and then – you know, whatever. He gives up the single, and then the one that ended the game was in the other's batter's box. Just a tough way to lose a ball game. I don't really know how to sum it up. Uh, I thought Jack Doherty did enough to give Ole Miss a chance to win, and it just didn't happen for him. And that's sure. not been the theme for the bullpen this week, which is unfortunate because they're pitching better and not seeing the results, but I think that will come. Yeah, no, I, I think they will. Um, I thought, Mike, if, if – and I didn't know when he did this, so that's why I didn't question it, but if Broadway wasn't available, I uh, – I thought he brought him in a little too early. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's unfortunate. I'm not blaming Mike per se. I just – I wish he could have tried to get through one more inning uh, before he went to Doherty or tried to find one more inning with, with Myers or, or Johnson on the back. I was about to ask, how are you doing that? Not I'm not yeah. pointedly, how, like how would you have done that? I, w- I would have let Brandon Johnson close the game. Uh, well, I say that after, after Vanderbilt had tied the game, I think I'd have brought Brandon Johnson in. Um, Fair enough. I, I think it was kind of obvious at that point, hey, he's struggling. I'm not saying it would have worked. I just – I think I would have let Brandon Johnson come into the game. Anyways, um, yeah, no, it's it's unfortunate for Doherty. But uh, I think he's fine. I, I completely trust that kid in big situation. Obviously, through 60 pitches on Wednesday night. Can't really see him back before Sunday, or I would at least hope so. Um, but, you know, that does actually if, – if Ole Miss was lucky enough to get to Sunday, it does give you a guy that you, you're pretty comfortable starting in a championship game on Sunday, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's kind of move on to Saturday real quick. For Excuse me, uh, Thursday before we get out of here real quick. Uh, just whatever you make of, uh, of Drew McDaniel, holy shit, 11 strikeouts, six innings. Um, what do yeah. you think of that? So he was, uh, he was really good. Uh, but – you know, I I think Drew McDaniel uh, has got a chance to be extremely good in Ole Miss uniform. I think for whatever reason he wasn't throwing enough strikes. That's not Drew McDaniel. Uh, I think he's fine. I, and I, I thought, you know, this gives him a lot of confidence. They obviously are going to need him next week in a big-time role. Uh, he's going to be hopefully pitching a 2-0 and game. Uh, I thought he was able to throw his, throw his breaking ball into the strike zone, which is massive for him. He wasn't able to do that last time against Georgia. And I do think there is some confidence derived, right, from uh, sucking against Georgia last week. And then five days later, you're throwing, you know, the best game of your career. I uh, I thought the kill was really good, and, and and that's obviously what Ole Miss needs. I mean, he gets through the lineup three times. Georgia does absolutely nothing against him. He, he, he was special today, for sure. So we got a mailbag question earlier, and we'll get to him in a second or I'll get to him in a second. I know you got a split. Um, we got a question about, like, confidence in Diamond slash McDaniel. How much of it do you think is the ballpark? Because I assume this guy listened to the podcast talking about how you can gain confidence from this ballpark. Um, look, I'll answer the first part of this. You can take it in which any way you want to. Uh, Drew McDaniel had 11 strikeouts today. You could play in a ballpark that's 100 feet, and that'd probably play. Yeah. If yeah, they don't no, they hit did. it, it doesn't matter how far the, how big the ballpark is. Thoughts? No, they, they didn't even hit any balls that would rival strikeouts. I think Vanderbilt hit a ball yesterday. It's probably a home run at Swayze, but I can't remember if it was off diamond or not. Uh, it hit the top of the wall in right field. Um, no, I, I, the ballpark plays into it, uh, and, it, and maybe it gives you more confidence to just throw it into the strike zone. 
Uh, so that's one aspect of it. But no, I don't. I don't think the ballpark. Look, yes, you can go over here, and, and I said this: you can go over here, and not pitch well, and your stat line not bear that out, uh, and actually say that you did pitch well. But I think I like you said, both of these guys would have had real successful days in Swayze, um, especially when you consider the strikeouts and the stuff standpoint. Yeah, I think both of these guys pitched extremely well. I think the the, the dimensions of the Hoover Met had had little to do with that. I agree, and that's kind of the perfect irony of the way the bullpens pitch because this is a place where you can pitch poorly and your stat line not reflected, and they've actually pitched well, and their stat line hasn't reflected. So maybe there's something wrong with the Hoover infield. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But so what do you make of this? So I guess I'll just bring it on you. Like, he was dominant today, right? He goes six and two-thirds. I agree with your point. I'm glad you mentioned that uh, about the breaking ball in the strike zone because, you know, you haven't seen a ton of strikeout stuff from Drew McDaniel. Sure. And today, you know, particularly as a guy that was not at sitting at my office, not being able to watch the game like I would normally watch a game, you know, trying to figure out what he's actually doing and why he's his dominant. I'm kind of relying on the the highlights of the Twitter account that Ole Miss, the Ole Miss baseball Twitter account or whatever. I mean, shit, how many breaking balls did he strike kids out on? You were at the game. How do you like? I don't even really know what I'm asking here, but like. He was obviously special, but, like, how different was that than we've seen all year? Because he almost looked like a different pitcher, and he's been good at times this year. But, man, behind the fastball was uh, really damn good. And as Mike kind of pointed out in his postgame, he also located the fastball wherever the hell he wanted to. He, he had about everything going today. Yeah, yeah. No, he was he was awesome, um, you know, and he was able to throw his fastball to both sides of the plate. you got to remember, like I said, this is a team that got after him. A week ago, a little less than a week ago, actually, five days ago. So to come in and shut that team down, I mean, his, his last two starts have been against Georgia, same lineup. Um, and if you're him, I think that gives you a lot of confidence, especially if you remember right. I thought he pitched well against Vanderbilt, and I thought he pitched well against A&M. Uh, the Georgia start was concerning. I know the Vanderbilt stat line's not going to be great, but if you remember, it was three innings of pretty good baseball. And then he gives up the, the you know, few runs that he doesn't actually give up. Austin Miller comes into the game, gives up the grand slam after he had sat on the bench for 45 minutes because Ole Miss scored 10. Uh, you know, I think I advocated maybe Ole Miss needs to th- find a third starter. Uh, he, he, he proved me wrong. Maybe he eats some crow. I, 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 thought, I thought he was really good. And I think, I think it's big for Ole Miss, right? Like, hey, you know in a regional next week, you may not know the order. Hopefully we don't know the order. Um, but – you know who your first three starters are. And I do think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you brought up the diamond point a second ago. Does that give Mike more confidence? I guess I'll put part two, part one and part two of this question before I let you get out of here is, uh, one, does this change anything about who your game, who your game one to get started against a four C would be? It doesn't for me. I'll preface no. it with that. Uh, actually, go ahead and answer that part first. No, I, I was, my, my starter is Diamond. Uh, what play by Alabama? Um, my starter is Diamond simply because I, I against a four seed, I want to throw the guy that's got more velocity uh, simply because they don't see the type of velocity Diamond possesses in, in most of their leagues. Um, and I, I just think that would play more. I, will, I would play the guy that can throw it harder. I agree completely. The second part of the question I had, and you may have answered in the first part, do you think it changes anything that Mike has two decent options at his disposal now? Like, I think he would go with Diamond, but do you think it changes anything that Drew McDaniel shoved? Like, I don't know, does that push Mike's old ass over the edge of being like, okay, I can't start Doug, it's just a matter of who? Uh, I, I still understand what you're saying. I think that Mike – so, well, I'll say it like this. 
Derek Diamond struggled for a while this year, and he got to stay in the rotation. I think Mike really, really likes Derek Diamond, and I think if there's if he's going to trust somebody to throw against the four seed that is not Doug Nikhazy, I'd be shocked if it's not him. I would agree with that completely as well. There's also more of a sample size, and Derek Diamond has been in the rotation since he stepped on campus. And Mike loves comfort. That's definitely true. I mean, one thing is his comfort sig. The last conversation we'll have before you uh, go back to the ballpark, you're going at the time of this recording to go watch Wicklander and Rocker. Is that correct? That is correct. That uh, I am jealous. I will be watching that and playoff basketball on my TV while sipping a beer. So, uh, tell me who has the better uh, setup. Uh, last thing for you that we get out of here, Tyler Myers tomorrow for Ole Miss against the loser of the game I just mentioned. It's not a great matchup for Ole Miss. I, I Not to be that guy, but it, it does seem like unless they bash their way to it, you know, it's probably ends tomorrow just from a pitching standpoint. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Go I ahead. Think you're, I think you're – I think you're wrong if it's Arkansas, just okay. because they're not throwing cop. No, no. Let me be clear. I think Arkansas could win the game, and I would probably expect them to. I, I think it's kind of a formality. Maybe if it's lighter tomorrow. Um, but if it's Arkansas, I mean, you're talking about a, a team that said they're not going to throw cops. Um, a team that's out without Peyton Paulette. Um, it's their their Saturday guy, Caleb Bolden, who will throw. Who's fine. Um, not great. I, I think Ole Miss can hit enough to get through tomorrow against Arkansas. I really struggle to believe that, that they're going to go beat Jack Leiter tomorrow, though. That's probably a fair way to put it. Um, with that being said, though, does just say lightning strikes. Well, actually, I'll, prep, I'll, I'll start it with this. What do you think oh, the whole deal with them be, still being around this week is national seat conversation. What do you think they have to do? We said three wins at the start of this podcast. I think, unfortunately, that now probably has gone to four. They have to get to Sunday, yes. Um, so that would be four. Um, they have to get to Sunday, and they've got to get a little help. Um, they need Stanford to lose. They need Oregon to not win two of three at um, – they need Oregon to win only two of three at Cal. Um, Need a little help. Probably don't need Stanford to win the series at Oregon State. Um, I'll tell you, it the door was open when Mississippi State punted Hoover. It was open because I'm telling you, if you go look at resumes, Ole Miss wins a game or two. Bulldog resume is not better than Ole Miss at that point. And we can talk about, oh, head-to-head. Head-to-head used as a tiebreaker. And the point of a tiebreaker is that there has to be a tie. And head to head is the exhaustive tiebreaker. You go through everything else before that's a thing. It's not a tie if Ole Miss wins two more games. So, uh, no, I can argue that Stanford's resume can still be better than Ole Miss's. Absolutely, I could argue that. Um, but, you know, you just root for Stanford to lose a few games this week and, and, and then you put your head, put your, you know, put it in the committee's hands and hope that, uh, hope they get selected. But I do think there's, there's very little path, uh, without winning on Friday and Saturday. I'm handling the mailbag questions, but we did get one about it. I just want your take before you get out of here on this part is what – I mean, look, I didn't watch either state game because I had work and I was lucky to watch the first two Ole Miss games in parts of the one Thursday. What What the hell? What Talk about opening a door for Ole Miss, yes. What, I mean, okay, whatever. You lose 5-4-6-5 or 5-4-7-4. They, they didn't make it to the ninth inning in either. What in the world? And look, they threw their guys today. I mean, McLeod got hit. Bernard got hit. Lucas Sims got raked. Um, I didn't show up. And 
I'm telling you, they left the door open to not be a national seed. And, you know, someone, you know, look, someone's got to go through it, whether that's Ole Miss, Stanford, Oregon, East Carolina. Somebody's got to go through it and take it. Um, but if that's – look, if I'm state, I'm not comfortable over the next few days. How do you get through tomorrow, uh, Friday and Saturday pitching-wise for Ole Miss if they make it through Friday? How do you get through Friday, and then what do you do Saturday? You hope for three out of Myers. Um, so I'll, I'll preface it like this. I've got five innings covered. I, I think uh, – I think. well, I'll say it like this. I think i got six innings covered. I got Myers for three. I got Brandon Johnson for two. And I think I got Broadway for one. Uh, I got to find three innings. And I – I don't think it's going to be Jackson Kimbrell. I don't – I West think they Burton. want to start. I think they want to start. I think Wes Burton is the, the a guy. You get yeah, – Austin Miller's going to be involved. If Ole Miss gets to Sunday, I'd be shocked if Austin Miller's not involved. Um, so, you know, uh, there's going to be some guys that they need to count on that haven't been good. Let's just put it like it is. Saturday starter Kimbrell? That's my guess. Um <laughs> If it's not Kimbrell, I expect Josh Mallets. And, and I'm being serious there. If it's not Kimbrell, I do expect Josh Mallets to start on Saturday. Perfect way to end it, uh, having Colin advocate for Josh Mallets. I'm just I wasn't advocating. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you this, if Ole Miss somehow got to Sunday, I mean, it's either Doherty or Nikhazy, right? Like, you're out of options at that point. Yes, absolutely. There is no Zach Phillips to get like seven outs for you and just ease you into the game like they did in 2019. I know you got to run. I appreciate the time. This podcast, if you're, uh, this is helping you get through a Friday, was all Collins doing. He is at Hoover. He made some time. I'm doing nothing but sitting in my underwear this evening. So uh, I'll let him get out of here. We got some mailbag questions on the back end. Enjoy the game tonight, dude. I appreciate it as always. And uh, we'll catch you again on Monday. Sounds good, my man. And that was Colin Brister. We're now a solo train podcast for the next few minutes. Not really. Well, yeah, a few minutes. I'll answer your guys' mailbag questions before we get out of here. Colin was working on a short window. He's in Hoover, as he mentioned, and he was there to enjoy himself with his dad. And he made time to make a pod for the people. So I was certainly not going to keep him for our normal hour and a half to two-hour extravaganza and uh, keep him away from his father because uh, as much as I pay him, and I pay him millions and millions of dollars, nothing can replace family. So let's get into your questions before we get out of here. I think this may be the first solo Mailbag Friday I have ever done. Here we go. Brody Clayton. Thoughts on Myers starting? Who is a better matchup, Arkansas or Vandy? Colin kind of hit on this a little bit before he got out of here, and I tend to agree with the same thing. I think Arkansas is a better matchup for Ole Miss, particularly given the state of Ole Miss's current pitching staff. Just from the sheer standpoint of, while Arkansas does have a little bit of a scholarship deal, and I don't really want to go in that direction today because I think that's become overplayed, Arkansas is not going to have their eighth guy in the bullpen throwing 98 on the black. I don't think Arkansas is going to need to get to their eighth guy. I imagine cops will be used tonight unless that game is a complete blowout, and that game is going on as we're recording it. So I always get the dates messed up when this podcast drops. Thursday night, they're playing Vanderbilt. I imagine that game is going to require cops to pitch. So I think he'll be out of commission for the Ole Miss game. Obviously, they're not going with Wicklander because Wicklander is starting tonight against Kumar Rocker. So I think Ole Miss should hope to face Arkansas. It'll probably be moot by the time most of you are listing this. But uh, you know, we already kind of outlined the plan. You want three, four innings from Myers and just kind of see what you're at. Ole Miss does not have good odds to win on Friday. 
But it is Hoover. Weird stuff happens all the time. I'm not counting them out by any means. I just don't think they have the pitching depth to make the Sunday run that they've kind of had in years past. But you know what? It's a ballpark where you can go death by fly ball. So it can be surprising. Not totally counting them out. Now, if Vanderbilt loses tonight and it's Jack Leiter versus Tyler Myers, unless some crazy shit happened, I I just don't see it for Ole Miss. So I think Ole Miss should want Arkansas – or excuse me, Vanderbilt to win and Ole Miss play Arkansas in the loser's bracket game. Did Leatherwood kick Mike's dog or is Mike convinced he can't hit left-handers, Jay Luckett asked. Yeah, that's a fair point, man. I I have no information on this. I have been pretty upfront and honest since I started this podcast that I am not plugged in like I used to be when I actually did this for a living. Um, and I wasn't even that plugged in then. I make it sound like I had some kind of uh, you know, steadily flow of information within that program. I think it's well documented, the, uh, the relationship I had with Mike Bianco and some others. So it's not like I had this source of information all the time, but I am not plugged in on a day-to-day basis as is. And so I think... I say this to say this. I think it's a left-hander deal. I don't agree with it. Colin kind of made the case earlier, and I didn't let him hit on it before he needed to go, uh, and his window was up to talk to us. But even if it is a left-hander thing, why in the world is Kale Baker getting at bats at first base that Leatherwood could have? Why is If you want to play Plumlee, and it's that big of a defensive issue, because I think that's part of it as well, right? You had the fly ball mishap. Whether that was McCants' fault, Leatherwood's fault, whatever – you know, you can fight about it. I don't think anyone actually knows, uh, you know, for certain. I think there's a defensive element to it as well. And, you know, Leatherwood's playing right field because he hits. He's not playing right field because he flashes the leather. No pun intended. That's why you listen to this podcast. When he's not hitting, he doesn't offer a ton of advantage. But at the same time, 12 days ago, Hayden Leatherwood still led this team in average in SEC play. So I just don't really buy it. I don't understand why you wouldn't ride the guy through a slump. So I think it's probably – a left-hander thing. I think it's probably partly a defensive thing as well. But if it's that, why not stick Leatherwood at first base? He's a hell of a lot better nine-hole hitter than Kale Baker. So I, I don't really understand it. If you're really that hell-bent on playing Kale Baker, then play Hayden Leatherwood. Like, I, I, I just don't understand that. So I think it's a left-hander thing. The way I was going with that before I just got sidetracked, and you'll have to forgive me, I don't do solo podcasts often. What I was trying to say was – I don't have this steady flow of information, but I am not certain Leatherwood's a thousand percent healthy. I don't have any information on this. No inside info. Just a guess because Mike sat him in the second game against Georgia as well. Maybe it was the third. I can't remember. You get the point. I think it was game two against Georgia. And yeah, it was a left-hander throwing for the Bulldogs that night, but I just refused to buy into a guy that was hitting 367 in SEC play for what was that? seven, eight weeks. I can't remember if Leatherwood was a day one starter. He was at the beginning. You're just going to all of a sudden match him up with John Rice Plumley, the piano player. Plumley had a double today. Good for him. He's a decent hitter. I'm somewhat poking fun. I just don't buy that. And so I'm not sure something's up, but I'm also something not sure something isn't up either. So take that for your double negative. What the heck is going on with State? I think we covered that a minute ago. I, I don't know, man. And State – 20 wins, congrats to them. They kind of, after a terrible series, lost to Missouri in the season's penultimate week. Go to Alabama and take care of business against a desperate Alabama team. They deserve all the props for that. But, my God, man, you you don't make it to the ninth inning of either game. You get run-ruled in both games. I think they've done enough to be a national seed. I think what they've done, though, is open it up, and we hit on this a little bit earlier in the podcast, for a team like Ole Miss, a team like East Carolina, someone – to make a deep, deep run in their conference tournament and take it from them. 
State's a national seed as of today. State's probably a national seed as of Friday. State's probably a national seed as of Saturday. But if some other team like Ole Miss, like in East Carolina, like someone else, continues to win, they can have fate taken from their hands. And really all they needed to do was show up and win one game here, and it would have removed all doubt. Like, you know, we talked about the 21 win Ole Miss thing coming into the week, now looking like it might be 22. State's still at 20. They didn't win any games in Hoover, and that's not doing them any favors. Now, their metrics were better than Ole Miss's, but that can change as well if Ole Miss keeps winning. So I don't really know what's going on. They pitched their guys today uh, against Tennessee, uh, for all, at least as best I could tell when I'm watching it from my cubicle. I have no idea what the deal is with that, but that, that's not a good note to go on going into the NCAA tournament. I think they'll be fine. I don't know they'll be fine, though. Pitching strategy from here on out, we kind of laid that out. I think you'll go Myers, try to get three out of him. Probably go Kimbrell on Saturday, although if you're making me bet what Mike Bianco is going to do, the man's going to start Josh Mallett's on Saturday. Uh, it, it just, you know, he put it away. He, you know, it's uh, like all you folks who jewel out there. Yeah, you jewel pod, whatever they – suck sticks, whatever off version of jewels they have these days. He said, this is my last pod. I'm done with it. Well, Mike actually kicked the habit for a month. But, buddy, when there's nothing else going on, the beers are flowing at the party, it's kind of acceptable. Maybe you slip back into old habits. There's not much left on Ole Miss's pitching staff. You get the analogy I'm going with? I think he'd go with Josh Mallett's over Jackson Kimball. I argue that Jackson Kimball would be a better option. But you give Mike a chance to put Jackson, uh, Josh Mallett's in a game where he's not going to take heat for it on the message boards. By God, he's proven he's going to do it. So. I think they'd start Josh Mallett's on Saturday. I wouldn't do it. And then you just kind of hope from there. Look, if this team gets through Vanderbilt or Arkansas with Tyler Myers starting a game for them, anything goes. They were going to have to bash their way through this tournament once the pitching depth ran out. And then maybe you can kind of get Nikhazy rested enough for Sunday if you get there. But these next two days, if Ole Miss does make a run and has something to say about this national seed conversation, it's going to eat up into their pitching staff. And I kind of poke fun at Mike for – you know, maybe favoring the Mallets thing. But at, at a certain point, does it does it really matter? You're going to have to use guys in that non-trust bucket. And so, you know, be that as it may, we'll see who it is. But if you're asking me to formulate a strategy, should they win on Friday? Other than the starter, I don't really know what to tell you. I'd like to know who's available and who's not. Maybe Brandon Johnson comes back. Doherty's probably fine if he doesn't pitch on Friday. So we will uh, we'll see about that. Why does it burn when I pee? Wrong podcast, pal. I would go recommend seeing a doctor. Flash in the pan or real growth from Diamond and McDaniel. Also, does Diamond's performance push Mike to start him against a four seed? I think we answered this earlier in the podcast, but I'll offer just one couple final thoughts before we get out of here. I'm not sure if it's growth per se because they both had moments, right? Their Diamond's been really good at times this year. Drew McDaniel and Doug Nikhazy went out. You know, it seems like many moons ago where Doug Nikhazy had a minor injury, missed the start of SEC play, and uh, Josh, excuse me, Drew McDaniel, I was about to say Josh Mallett. See, y'all got me on the Josh Mallett train now, and I can't quit it either. I'm just like Mike. Drew McDaniel was good enough to where it was a real debate as to whether Derek Diamond should get his spot back, period, without him doing anything. Then, you know, the story, Derek Diamond shoves against Auburn. McDaniel goes back to the midweek uh, for a couple more weeks, Diamond proves that to be kind of fool's gold, although he had a pretty good outing against Alabama. And then it uh, just kind of goes from there. So I don't know if it's quote-unquote growth per se. Like, it's it's not that they quote-unquote, I guess, went up a level. Like, it's been there. 
it's just a matter of consistency. So if they do it again, and you'll see that in a regional, um, I guess you could call it growth. But uh, I just think it's a good sign that you saw both of them pitch well. And it wasn't ballpark-induced like we mentioned earlier. I mean, McDaniel struck out 11 guys. Diamond really stifled one of the best lineups in the SEC, not named Arkansas. Like, maybe the best not named Arkansas, putting them up together with Ole Miss. I tend to favor Ole Misses over Vanderbilt's. But but that's legit. That was not – that was no death by fly ball and, and some, some good luck. Like, they, they both pitched well, and that's exactly what you want to see. I'm just not sure if growth is the right word. And I'm overanalyzing your question. I, I get what you're getting at. I do think it's real to answer your question. And I suppose that's probably the best way to leave it. Had another pitching strategy question from longtime listener Wilson Nalty. I think we highlighted that. Uh, let's see. We got one more. Does this look like more like the team we thought they'd be this season? I know small sample size, but it sure does seem like it in my opinion. I, you know, I'm not going to disagree with the whole, like, this is who they are. I would argue, though, that I don't really know what you mean by this is who we thought they'd be. This team has been, for the most part, outside of a couple bad weeks and the bullpen kind of being mystifying where you thought in February it would probably be the team's greatest streak. This team has been absolutely who you thought it would be. They're great starting pitching when fully healthy. And they have a really good lineup. Injuries have just kind of plagued this team. And the, the kind of infusion of the injuries coupled with the fact that you've had some bullpen deficiencies and injuries in the bullpen, because need I remind the podcast every week, this team could use the hell out of a Max Trophy. You talk about who's starting tomorrow. Uh, Max Trophy could fill that void. He could fill the bridge void. He could do a lot of things. I think this team has been exactly who you thought it was all year. I mean, hell, they won 18 games and they lost their best hitter and their best pitcher for – I mean, you're approaching significant portions of the season when it comes to uh, Gunnar Hoagland because this is, what, four starts now he would have missed? So that would call that significant. Tim Elko misses a month. Just because he's mashing bombs with one ACL does not mean that, you know, his loss wasn't felt for a month. And just because Ole Miss's offense didn't miss a beat while he was gone certainly does not mean that his presence was not missed. And so I guess the way to answer your question is this is not some 2019 scenario where they underperform for a month and a half, or a, yeah, probably a month and a half. That's probably fair. And then kind of find themselves into Hoover and back their way into a host because they had this ridiculous run in Hoover. This is not that. This team won 18 SEC games with the injuries that they dealt with and you know two really bad managerial decisions that kept them from being 20 and 10. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Sunday at State, Sunday against Texas A&M. Those are firmly on the shoulders of Mike Bianco and, you know, I'm not so certain if you gave that guy truth serum, it would have any effect on him. But deep down, he knows those are on him. And so I think this team has been exactly who they are all year. And honest to God, it's a damn credit to them and their resiliency that they're at this point. You know, 20 SEC wins with a chance to be a borderline national seed, given what they've undergone from an injury standpoint. So I, I guess a better way to phrase what you're asking is, is this team playing its best baseball? Uh, I would argue yes, and sure as hell coming at the right time. But as far as who they are, I think this is who they are and who they have been all year. There's just only so much you can overcome from an injury standpoint, you know. Did we have any more questions that I missed? Just want to make sure. Covered that. Covered that. Yeah, I think we covered everything. So those are the mailback questions. I just wanted to run through them. I didn't want to ignore you guys' questions just because Colin had a limited window. Um, so – Colin and I will be back at it on Sunday for, or excuse me, Monday. We're not doing a Sunday pod. There would be no point in us doing a Sunday pod 
you know, nine hours before Selection Monday. So Labor Day – Labor Day weekend, Jesus. Memorial Day weekend, Colin and I will be back on Monday. That's kind of your pseudo Sunday night. I hope you treat your weekend accordingly, and that's your Sunday night to recover and prepare for work the next week. But we'll be recording after – the field is announced. We'll see where Ole Miss stands, who's in their regional, who knows who they're paired with national seed-wise and whether they have to go there or vice versa. You never know with this group. So we'll be back at it then. Go check out Skybox Sports Picks. Don't miss out. They got that race on Saturday night. Do not miss out on that chance to win a 1000 bucks that I tease on the top of the podcast. You're just pissing away free money if you don't do it. Check out LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. We're going to do some horse racing stuff. Some grill corner with Greg next week. Next week, we might even have a horse uh, horse naming contest if Greg's gone deep in the pockets and uh, bought himself some stock in another horse. So stay tuned for that. People love meats. People love horses. But uh, I appreciate you guys listening. As always, as I always say, this has been a hell of a lot of fun to do. It's been very gratifying to see how this podcast has grown. Always enjoy talking ball with my friend Colin uh, twice a week. And you guys, you know, the engagement and the fact that how quick this podcast has grown has made it a hell of a lot more enjoyable to do it for two hours, uh, you know, twice a week. So I really appreciate the listenership. I I cannot express that enough. Uh, I haven't done a podcast since the story on the Ortega kids dropped. I really appreciate all the feedback on that. It was good to reconnect with them over the weekend. They're great people. Um, Jim Flanagan, great guy as well. I hadn't seen them in a couple years. I mean, it was right at two years at that point. And it was, it was really great to reconnect with them. I thought the story turned out well. Like I said, I, I really appreciate the feedback that you guys gave to that. If you haven't seen it, go check it out, rippywright.substack.com. You might remember the Ortega brothers, their unlikely friendship and fandom with Ole Miss baseball and uh, their return trip to Oxford. And uh, I kind of wrote a follow-up story on their uh, their unlikely friendship with the 69-year-old man from Clinton, Mississippi, who they sat in their seats the first time they came and kind of the healing power of baseball. So go check that out if you haven't seen it. I really appreciate the feedback on it. Subscribe to the newsletter, rippywrights.substack.com. You guys be safe. Have a safe and happy Memorial Day weekend. Don't do anything stupid with fireworks. Uh, don't drive boats around and uh, drink and drive boats around and drive. All the typical dad stuff. I'm just going through the checklist. Y'all be safe. Have a fun weekend watching baseball. And Colin and I will be back at it on Monday.